Hallelujah. Well, if you have your Bibles for a few moments tonight, I want you to go with me to the book of Titus. Titus, we're going to be looking at chapter 2. And in particular, one verse, but I'm going to read a few verses so you can get the context of uh, what Paul is writing about. Titus chapter 2. It begins like this. He said, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. That word doctrine will appear several times in Paul's writing here to Titus. And it is a very important word. Underscore it. Don't ever forget doctrine matters. Amen. He said that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience, and the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient in their own, to their own husbands and that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Verse 7 said, In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, or that word in our vernacular would be soundness, uh, Sincerity, responsibility, uh, sound speech, that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, or they may be put to silence to be obedient, and no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their masters, and to please them well in all things. Every, another, all things, in all things. Not answering again or not uh, being impudent and uh, speaking back. Not purloining uh, or thieving or taking things that don't belong to you. But showing all good fidelity or honesty. And this is what I want you to focus your attention on for the remainder part of this service. That they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Everybody say with me, adorn the doctrine of God. Amen. Our Savior, in all things. Amen. Some of you aren't convinced he meant that, but he said all things. All right. I want to talk to you tonight from an unusual subject perhaps, but I hope that God will speak to you. I want to talk to you about the fine art of making goodness attractive. Amen. The fine art of making goodness attractive. 
holiness attractive, godliness attractive. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. If you were to Google, as I did this afternoon, the most beautiful buildings in the world, you would find there a voluminous list of such architectural wonders. And you're going to see some of them, I hope, uh, that are thrown up. I believe that is... uh, uh, Saint is that at the cathedral in Russia? Anyway, you can you can go on through them. I, you can watch them, and while I'm talking, I think you can do both those things. But if you go as I did, you you will find uh, list upon list and picture upon picture uh, of of all of these beautiful buildings throughout our world. Many of them modern. Many. Uh, of an older age and time. And yet, you pick any one of them. And in particular, I want to, I think that's the Empire State Building, and they're going to get to one in a moment. It is uh, in Dubai. It is one of the most unusual buildings that you will ever see in all of your life. And if, but it, 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 what I'm going to say applies to any of them. If, If you were to take that building, you would have to understand that in order for that building to exist in its beauty as it is, there had to be volumes of plans and design and calculations and figures and numbers and formulas that went into uh, the design of that building in order for it to stand. My brother is an architect, and he would, I'm sure, collaborate what I'm telling you, but you would find, defined on paper, everything that you spire, every detail, every corner, every spire, all of the proper dimensions and the weight load and the distribution and every span would have been calculated so that it could hold the volume of weight that was bearing down upon it so that it would be more than just a structure that would last for a moment but perhaps last for many lifetimes. And many of these buildings, this is one of the modern buildings One of the wonders of the world, this particular building, I believe, is in Sydney, Australia. But the architecture, for them to produce that building like that, or this new modern building in Taipei, there had to be volumes and volume. Now, we didn't have anywhere near that size of building when we built, but I remember my brother bringing me a stack full of papers that were prints of all of the different phases, the foundation, the boat configuration, and uh, all of the uh, requirements of the state and the city, and reams of paper sometimes. A building like this would contain a volume, or perhaps multiple volumes, of, of of details that would go into making that building what it is. And, and all of that is necessary. You, you would find it defined on paper to the letter. Everything that you visibly see 
will have been recorded and noted for the architect or for the builder so that they could build it. And you could read and look at every detail. And what I found interesting when we first built our sanctuary was the detail page. There were no pictures. So I'm a picture person. I like to see things like that because that helps give me an understanding. But it would just... Line after line of the boring details of, of door details and weight load limits and boat patterns and all of that. And you want to skip through that because that, that's the boring part of it. But the reality is in order for that building to look like that, there had to be reams and reams and reams of of details that were defined so they could calibrate every one of the expanses, all of the cantilevers, everything about that building tells me that somebody spent countless hours and you could see all of that on paper. You could see it. You, you, you could read all about it in print. But I will tell you personally, There's nothing in the world better than standing and viewing what you have been reading about. Because the real beauty is not in just what I read on the pages. Although they are factual and true and without them you would not have that structure. But to stand in the opening of Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, France, and to look up and realize that hundreds of years before any of the modern uh, building apparatuses were available, they were able to design that building with such detail and ornate uh, configuration that you stand there and your mouth drops open and you stand at the Eiffel Tower and the pictures do not do it justice because it is so massive as how small you under its girdings and the struts that come down. You realize how small you are in comparison to the beauty of what the architect has been able to present to us. To stand in Washington, D.C., and to look at that dome capital at night, there's no word that can describe what that feeling is like. Oh, I've, you can read about it. There's volumes of books that have been written about how it was constructed and everything that went in, all the calculations and, and all the math knowledge and all of the physics that had to go into the building of that structure. And when we built our sanctuary, there weren't that many details, but I assure you they were more than you wanted to sit down and read. But what made that building what it is today is somebody took it and put it in flesh form. Amen. We read all about it, and none of it will compare with standing and looking at the beauty of what the architect has designed and described. Nothing, nothing in all the world can do that. Standing at the Empire State Building as just a young man from a small town in North Texas and looking up and seeing how 
wonderfully made that was, puts in human form all of the words that the text so adequately detail. When Paul wrote the book of Titus, he was writing to a young man that had been put in a very difficult situation. The island of Crete was no paradise, and if you read church history, you will find that just the people themselves were not well known. They were not well thought of. As a matter of fact, uh, when they made derogatory statements, Cretans often found themselves being men- mentioned among the unsavory elements of, of, of life in that day. And yet, God chose to build a church in that environment. And, and Paul sent Titus there to help set the church in order and to preach the gospel and to deliver the doctrine that had been taught him, that had converted him and brought such a change in his life. And his responsibility was to go into that island and to those people that, well, if you read the first chapter, there were some people that said of them they were slow bellies and and other kinds of derogatory statements were made about them. And perhaps those things were true. But Paul telling Titus, your mission there is not to discern the personality of the people, but reveal the power of the gospel to these people. And you're going to do that by doctrine, by the things that you've been taught. And you're going to help them uh, become transformed by the same gospel that transformed you. But it became clear to Paul in his writings, or so it seems to me, because he mentions it in different ways in more than one occasion, that Titus's witness and the witness of the believers on Crete could only be as effective as their own. He would hear the doctrines. That before anybody would hear the doctrine, they were going to have to see the doctrine. I want to let that sink in for a moment. Paul's statement is very revealing to me because... I agree that you cannot add anything to the Word of God. It is complete in itself. And yet Paul, with no uncertainty and without mincing words, he said that it is your responsibility to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You are to adorn that doctrine. My life and your life can be lived in such a way as to give confidence and credence to the hearer of what we say about every promise that's in the book, about every assurance that is given in the book, about every command and every requirement that is given in the book, our life is an open letter to the world. And Paul speaks of 
this doctrine to Titus. Now, when we think of doctrine, we are thinking of one God, uh, Jesus' name, baptism, infilling of the Holy Ghost. But the reality is the doctrine that Paul was referring to was the totality of what all of Scripture declared. It was not only salvation issues and, and redemptive issues, but it involved mercy and grace and peace and reconciliation and long-suffering and patience and joy and gladness. All of that was a part of this doctrine of God. So the gospel message or doctrine that Paul addresses does not simply offer men an intellectual creed or a moral code to live by But it offers them a life, a life that is the very life of God. And Paul makes that statement in chapter 1, that we share in the very life of God because of what the doctrine or the gospel has done in our life. We share in that life. And he offers nothing less than that same thing to these Cretans. It is an offer of God's power for my frustration, His calmness for my calamity, His truth for my uncertainty, His goodness for my moral failure, and His joy for my sorrows. All of that is encompassed in the gospel. How thankful I am for a gospel that is powerful enough to save, to deliver, to change, to transform, to revive, to renew. Is there anybody here tonight that is thankful for a doctrine that will change your life? And he begins chapter 2 by speaking of how this doctrine, how this teaching should affect the character and the conduct of those Call believers. He addresses the elder men and the elder women. And he addresses the young men and young women and even the workers and and their respond. Adorning and their owner. And he makes the statement that we read in verse 10. Adorning the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. And I thought it was interesting how other translations put that phrase. And this is what many of them say. Then they will make, listen to me, then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. That you will show all good faith in order to bring credit to the teaching of our God and Savior in everything that we do. That they will show the beauty of the teachings about God our Savior in everything they do. That in order to bring honor to the teaching of our Savior God in all things. That's what adorning the gospel means. It means that you and I have the choice, privilege, and responsibility of teaching people about God and doing it in such a way that it becomes attractive to them, that they 
are desirous of that same kind of experience that we would show forth a faith in our life that will bring credit to everything in this book, not discredit. Nothing so injures the cause of Christ as for the professor to descend to conduct or to words or to a lifestyle that is unbefitting of the representative of Christ. The greatest challenge that all of us in this building face is not talking to people about Jesus, but showing people Jesus in the way we live every day of our life. Amen. The Bible said we are living epistles written, read of all men. Our lives, listen to me, my life speaks more than my words every day that I live. And Paul is trying to, to help Titus and, and us understand that your profession and your confession is no more powerful than the life that you live and the things that are seen, your attitude, your spirit, your action, your words, everything, all things in your life. That the way people really become attractive to us is not because we have a unique doctrine or that we believe there's only one God and, and that one God is manifest in, 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 in a fleshly body in the form of Jesus Christ and, and he comes again in the form of his Holy Spirit living in us. That is not what will convince people that that doctrine is true. What will convince them is that you and I live in such a way that they want to know what is it about you. Every time I'm in your presence, I just feel something. I sense something. What is it about you that there's there's such peace and tranquility and there's so much chaos going on in this office? Amen. The only possible way for us to convince the world that we live in of the Bible's validity is to show them a life that has been changed by that word. But it is on a regular basis. You paid much attention to the Internet lately. But it is on a regular basis that I read something that tries to undermine and tear down what this word represents to our culture. From the Dead Sea Scrolls on down to the validity of Scripture. It is being undermined on a daily basis. So much so that when you tell people you believe in the Bible, they look at you kind of cross-eyed like there must be something wrong with you because any sane, reasonable person. So what I'm saying to you that in the culture that we live in right now, the greatest weapon that we have at our aid is not in just this word but in the life that it has produced so that we show to the world that we live in not a God that's on paper and print but a God that's in flesh that he lives in us that he resides in us that our actions and our words and our deeds reflect the fact that we are a child of God. I've met people in my lifetime that could quote half the Bible and cuss just as well. 
What an end. Or tell lies until the world looks level. They could quote all of the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm and between every other word. I've heard them do it. Use the Lord's name in vain at least four or five times. No wonder when the world looks at the church and Christianity nowadays, they just shake their head and say, those poor people. Listen, church, there's an opportunity in the world in which we live. I'm not intimidated by the world that we live in, but we do have an opportunity that is even more powerful than just what is written here is what is written right here because they may not be able to believe this, but they cannot deny this. They cannot deny the change that God has wrought in my life. Amen. The only way to convince the world, is to let them see what Christianity is. But it's not in what we say that's going to convince them. It is in what they see that will convince them. You can't talk about the goodness of the Lord and then be mean to everybody around you. And be short-fused with everybody around you. It's incongruent. It, it doesn't make sense. That's why the world just looks at us and nods and goes on their way. And there's no change. Because there's too much inconsistency. We talk about being Christian, but they wind up hearing us talk just like they talk. When we get mad or frustrated, there's things that come out of our mouth that shouldn't come out of our mouth. We would have had our mouth washed out in times past as a younger person or a child. But now as an adult, we don't think anything when we lose our temper or when something doesn't go. We let a four-letter word or something slip out. And there are people listening to that. And then when you turn around and try to tell them about the love of God, they're looking at you kind of cross-eyed like, what in the world are you talking about? You said, that's not happening among us. I know I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to everybody that's not here tonight. I'm just telling you that the best opportunity that this church has of reaching our community is not on that sign out in front. But it is in what sits on these pews right here tonight. And what gathers here on a Sunday morning. Because they may look at you are the best opportunity we have of reaching the world because they may look askance at this, but when they look across the street at you and they know what you've been through and yet you have a disposition of peace and joy, somewhere down the line they're going to have to come by and look at you and say, what in the world is going on? What, what is it about you? What, what is going on? What am I missing here? And that's when the gospel becomes real. That we make it attractive. We have made Christianity this hard set of rules of do's and don'ts. And I under, that's all in there. I do. I accept that. I'm not against that. I'm not preaching against that. But that's all that some people see. All the things you can't do. And if all you do going through life is let people see what you don't do, you have missed your opportunity to make an impact on your world. They need to see what I can do. They need to see what I am and what I am becoming through the mercy and the grace of God. What are ways in which you and I 
could adorn the gospel. What are ways in which we could beautify the doctrine of God? What is a way in which we could make it more attractive to people? The greatest testimony that we have is not the sign out front, but the life we live at work, at our home, in the store, on the highway. You know what? I've had to pray through several times over the last few years living here in the Houston area. Because people can try your Christianity, not just your patience. And I find myself saying things. But the other day I was driving down the road and we see all of these homeless people all the time. And we just kind of turn our head and we try to ignore that they're there. We And I understand that there are people that exploit that. But something happened to me the other day while I was sitting looking at a man that had a sign out of some kind of need or want. And it struck me all of a sudden. I looked at him. I didn't look past him, but I looked at him. And when I did, my heart was smitten. And I realized, you know what? There's no difference between that man and me. The only difference between him and me is the grace of God that came into my life. The only reason I'm not there and he's not here is because somewhere in my life, the grace of God intersected me. And the best thing I can do is find a way to show compassion to people like that. Amen. So how are ways that we can adorn the gospel? Number one, I think it's obvious by what Paul says about the servant. He was talking about the worker and the the employee and the employer. The best thing you can do to adorn the gospel if you are a worker is is to give your employer everything they pay you for. I went over like a dirty diaper at a picnic. Yeah. I'm just saying you, you, you need to live above the law. Not just live by the law. Well, I'm going to do as little as I, I'm just going to do what I can. There ought to be something in us that is so eager to let the Spirit of God be displayed in our life that we don't mind when we are compelled to go one mile to go out even but go the second mile. Because the second mile isn't for anybody but you. Amen. The first mile was commanded, but the second mile was voluntary. Number two, another way that we can adorn the gospel is by of all things, God forbid, but restraining our tongues. Paul said, not answering again. Not talking back. Oh, I knew this was going to excite all of y'all tonight. I won't labor that point. I think we all understand we all at times have problems with our tongue. I, I shouldn't say all. Some of y'all are so holy, y'all probably don't ever have that problem. But I hadn't made it there yet. I still have problem with mine. But if I ever think I'm going to reach my world, it isn't because I can rehearse doctrine. It's going to be because I can live before them a life that is affected by the doctrine. I live holy not because it is a creed or not because it is a requirement of this church that if you're going to be a member, you're supposed to live holy. I want to live holy because He is holy. 
want to come out from among them and be a separate, saith the Lord. Why? Because I belong to him, not to them. I don't mind letting that light shine. I'm not there to make them feel uncomfortable, but I have an opportunity to show the world what living for God is like and what it can be, not by what I say, but by how I live. Amen. We can adorn the gospel by our honesty. He says not purloining, not taking things dishonestly. Now you can... You can be dishonest in more ways than just stealing somebody's money. Amen. Phew. I didn't think you was going to be quite this quiet, but we can, we can adorn the gospel by trustworthy character, by being reliable. Not a, 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 a hot Sunday and a cold Wednesday. You know, there's some people that can shout up a storm on Sunday. But they can't even be found any other time. <laughs> he said, showing all good fidelity. That means whatever you do, whether it's at home or at work or at job, you need to conduct yourself in a way that nobody would ever have to wonder, are they or are they not? I know what they said, but I look at how they live. Amen. Now, the world calls that legalism. I don't. I call it what Paul did, adorning the gospel, making that good word attractive to the world that has no idea. There was no more a foreign field to the gospel than the island of Crete. They were barbarians. They were, they were a unique people, to say the least. And yet the gospel came to that island. Because everybody ought to have a chance to hear the gospel. And so when Paul is trying to help Titus in his effectiveness in reaching that, he said the greatest testimony you're going to have is not how good you can preach. And it's not going to be how many scriptures you can quote. It's going to be if you live on a day by that you live the love of God. That you live the forgiveness of God. That you live in the peace of God. That you have the joy of the Lord in your life. I never have understood Holy Ghost filled people. And I know that we don't always smile every hour of the day. But there's some folks I've run into that they have a constant disposition of frowning. And I'm wondering, how is that going to win the world? Who would want to be a part of that society? The grumps. The hard to get along with. (laughs) Who wants to be connected to something like that? But when they see joy and peace... And they find out that you can live for God and still live a full life and enjoy everything you want to enjoy in life. You know what? The reason that I don't drink isn't because I shouldn't or can't drink. But I've got something better to do with my life than sell myself to something as cheap as wicker, whiskey or liquor. (laughs) Amen. 
I've got something better to do with my life than puff it away on marijuana or, or shoot up something called crack cocaine. There's something better to do with my life than to watch my teeth rot out because I'm, I, I'm doing whatever that new drug is they're doing. I'm aging bad enough as it is, but I've watched a six months time span of people that were on meth, uh, and it's shocking the deterioration of their, their physical appearance in six months time of being on meth. Now I'm not making fun of that, I'm just saying that I've got something better to do with my life than have it, it's deteriorating enough as it is. But I'm saying that I have found something better I found a new wine. I, I, I found a peace that passeth all understanding. I found joy that even in the midst of adversity and sorrow, you can still lift your hands and you can praise and man. I found a God who is with me in the valley just as much as he is with me when I'm on the mountaintop. Amen. We must have motives that are pure. There must be a dignity about the way we live. And our message must not conflict with our lifestyle. We must be respectful. We must be faithful. There must be a life that is exemplified with mercy and grace and patience and goodness and goodwill. Hallelujah. You know what? When the prodigal returned home, he was met by two opposing illustrations of what I want you to understand. He, he, he was met, not first, but he was met by the critical elder brother who blurred the doctrine of mercy by his attitude and his actions by saying, I've been here all this time. I hadn't done anything like that, and I never got a party thrown like that for me. And on the other hand, was the father who adorned the doctrine that God loves the penitent sinner who comes to his senses and he stands with open arms. He does more than sin. The Bible said the father ran to the prodigal and wrapped his arms around him. When he, when we welcome the fallen back and we open our arms to them, no matter their failure, we are adorning the doctrine of God. Amen. When we forgive men their trespasses, we are adorning the doctrine of God. Amen. Oh, I like, I, let's, let's get back on that oneness stuff. I like that a lot better. I like tongue talking. I like, I like, I like the law. I like, yeah, I, I do too. But just as much as that law was there, so was that mercy there, and so much the more. And so when we forgive men their trespasses, that doesn't mean that we let them off. That Nobody is ever going to get off scot-free that does someone bad. They're going to pay a price somewhere in life. Nobody. But what that what forgiveness does is release you. It frees you from being a judge. And you know what? I know there's some intelligent people here tonight. I don't want to offend you in the least, but there's none of us smart enough to be a judge of all things. So why don't we get off that throne and let him occupy it and say, you know what, Lord, I'm, I'm going to be willing to forgive. I want to let it go because I'm tired of it hanging on to my life.
I want to move on. I don't want to just keep dragging that mess. Some people are still attached to all of the failures and mess that went on in their life four or five or six years ago. It's still dragging on because they're still talking about it. It still has their attention. When are you going to let go? Let that Open that hand and say, you know what? That's in the hands of God. I don't have anything. I can't change that. I can't change that person. Let it go. And when we, when we exemplify that kind of forgiveness, we are in fact adorning. We are making the doctrine of God attractive. Amen. We adorn the doctrine when we are sensitive to the poor and the needy and the hurting. And we have a spirit of generosity that is willing to reach out. And it's happened many times here. Missionaries stand in the pulpit and tell the story of his calling and where he is going. And how many times have you as a people poured out your financial blessings upon them because you were moved. That is how we adorn the gospel. The doctrine of God is the word, in the word is just words to the unbeliever. We make the letters live by the way that we live. Amen. The beauty of our message is made tangible by the life that we live on a day-by-day basis in all things that we do. You know, there's some people that segregate living for God to Sunday or certain days of the week or certain times. And then they have off days, you know. I don't have to be a Christian today. I don't have to, I don't have to mind my P's and Q's today. I, I, I'm, you know, when, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And uh, when in Vegas, things stay in Vegas. And so we kind of live with that dual mentality that we can separate life. You know what? I don't care if you go to Vegas or where you go. You better be a child of God there just like you are here. And if you go somewhere else, I don't care where it is that I go. I need to be an exemplary person in that environment just like I am around here when everybody's looking at me. Amen. The beauty of my message and your message is in the life that we live. What we say transfigure us before it will touch them. Don't tell me about the love of God when you're mean as a junkyard dog. Don't talk about the kindness of the Lord when you're greedy and stingy. And you won't give your money, your time, your effort, your energy. Don't don't talk about that. Because the only way my life is going to touch somebody else is for that word to transform me and them see that transformation. They may not understand all the these and thous and don'ts and do nots and, and, and thus and so, but they do believe the guy that lives next door or works in the other cubicle or comes down the hall and they do see you on a daily basis. And when they see that, that becomes the thing that becomes the attractor. That, that's what begins to draw them. It wasn't so much as what you said as how you lived. Amen. Somebody say amen. We must do justice to the investment that God has put in all of us by living our lives worthily. That's the word that Paul used over and over, to live worthily. It's how Brother Steve McDaniel said it. I want to give back to God what he paid for. 
Amen. What a way to live. Our faith should hallow our whole personality. He said, in all things, adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Amen. I'm going to get to that in a minute. By doing such, we render the most valuable service to this message. The world is not persuaded by logic or learning or literature, but by a life that is well lived. Amen. What convinces men of the beauty of the stars and the heavens is not someone writing about it, but standing out in the open sky on a cloudless night and looking up and seeing all of the stars and the heavenly bodies and the infinity of depth that's there. And then you're like the psalmist. When I look to the heavens and I, I consider your handiwork, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visiteth him? Amen. The world is not persuaded by your doctrine, but by your life. Amen. What convinces men of its beauty is not in the description, but in its display. Amen. Say that with me. The display. Men will not be moved by the theology that we talk about, but by the spirit and the life. Of the one who speaks. Adorning speaks of that which fits or is fitting or is suitable. Our temper, our conduct. In the doctrine of redemption, despondency and hopelessness and sadness and misery and depression and gloom and discouragement is unsuitable. There should never be such a thing as a depressed saint of God. Now, I know people get depressed, but I'm talking about somebody that lingers in that state for a long period of time. Why? Because there is something in the gospel that is able to heal. There's something in the gospel. Hey, listen to me. If it could worm him, they had put chain. The Bible describes as being so wild that they could not tame him. They had put chains on him. He had broken the chain. He ran naked through the tombs and he cried and screamed out daily. But when Jesus stepped foot on the shore of the gathering, the scripture says that he ran and fell down and worshipped him. And the next time those people saw him, the Bible said he was sitting and clothed and in his right mind. That's the power of the transformation of that gospel that we talk about. Amen. Praise God. Everybody say, in all things. That means the petty things. The unspectacular things. The things that nobody but you and God will ever see. And you don't even think God sees them. The petty things. In all things. That means in all people. Young, old, employer, employee. Amen. There's none of us at any time ever have the right to be disrespectful to another human being. No matter what they do to us. Amen. Whoo. Hallelujah. I think I'm going to shout. 
In all things. That means in all conditions. High, low. I'm not talking about being able to shout and rejoice when all the money in the world is flowing through your account and every bill's paid and all your creditors are satisfied. I'm talking about being able to, to, to shout and rejoice and not ignorantly do that, but do it in the hope and the faith that God is going to help you meet those obligations and He is going to help you find a way to face those needs that are before you. And doing that in the face of adversity. Married or single, parent or child, master or worker, it doesn't matter. In all things means in all conditions. In all places. Everybody say all places. That's what all things mean. All places. Home, abroad, alone, or in the company of a thousand. Amen. In all employments, whatever they may be, and at all times. I'm going to close with that one. Not just on Sunday. Amen. We have too many weekend warriors that connect to God and say, Oh, God, ain't God good. And God can't find their address for the rest of the week. or know Because they don't ever talk to Him. They don't ever converse with Him. They never read His Word. But they show up on Sunday. (laughs) Yeah, I'm talking about it tonight. At all times. That means on a low blue Monday or a stressed out Thursday. I still need to be a Christian. I still need to be a child of God. I still need to speak things that are uplifting. I still need to remember who I am in the face of all of that adversity. And I'm preaching to myself tonight. So don't get mad at me. I'm preaching at this guy just as well. We damage our cause of people coming to God because we are not true to the principles that we profess. Amen. Don't only wear a flower on your lapel, but let the beauty and the perfume of that flower be in your words and in your actions and in your looks. Amen. There was a famous soldier, and I'm, you can stand, I'm through. There was a famous soldier who went to the palace to have an audience with the king of England. And the king was tied up with different matters. And so the the soldier had to wait. He was not used to waiting. He was a great military leader and he had led great victory to that nation. And having to wait a little bit it made him nervous and anxious. And so he began to pace the antechamber impatiently. As he walked, his sword dragged and rattled behind him, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, the king burst out of his, uh, his, the room where he was, and he said to a courtier in a loud enough voice for everybody to hear, Dear me! What a nuisance that man's sword is. And the man fired back, yes. So your enemies feel that way too. What he failed to realize is that in all the good that he had done with the sword on the battlefield, he had just about nullified it by the way he used it in the king's court. You got to be careful how you handle this word. 
Because you can cut up more than can be put back together sometimes. And before you skin them, <laughs> let God save them first. I told you this before. I was preaching revival years ago. We went to a little bitty town out in West Texas. They just had a handful of people. And we had a visitor. The only visitor we had the entire week I was there. When I got through preaching, she came to the altar and prayed so diligently. A beautiful young lady from the school. And that dear man, I know he probably didn't realize, or maybe he did. I don't know, but... It seemed to be an untimely casting of the fig as far as I was concerned. But he set that girl down. She never heard anything about baptism. She'd never heard anything about the Holy Ghost. She'd, she'd never really even been around a church. But somehow, for some reason, she came to church that night. And God touched her. And he took out his long list of things and he began to tell her, now if you're going to come to this church, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't go there and you can't wear that and you can't be that. You can't. And she just sat there kind of stunned. And guess what? She never came back. Now I'm not criticizing the man, but I think there would have been a better use of his sword on that occasion. And church, I'm just telling you that in the culture that we live in, you're not going to go out in the world swashbuckler style and say, come on, you want to you debate doctrine? You want to debate, you, you want to talk about one God or whatever? You want to talk about Holy Ghost or Holy Living? I'm ready. I know I'm exaggerating this. But sometimes you have to exaggerate get to be, get to get people to make a connection that... They, they wake up and realize, hey, whoa, he, he's actually, he, he may be talking a little bit of, about me. Because sometimes, Madeline Murray O'Hare made this statement about Christianity. She said, Christians are the only species on the face of the earth that destroy their wounded. And that atheist was right one time. Because the truth is, if somebody messes up around a church, everybody knows about it. And we have a hard time not talking about it. And nowadays, we have a terrible time keeping it off of Facebook. And what makes matters even worse is the people that do it are ignorant enough to put it on there. I never have figured that one out. You put that stuff out there and then you get mad because people talk about it. In my book, that's called stupidity. Now, that may not be a proper thing to say tonight, but the fact is, we're not going, we're not going to win this culture that we live in the way we may have done in years past. When you could just tell somebody something and they did it. When I was a kid, if the preacher said it, everybody did it. They didn't even ask questions. Nowadays, when you just even suggest something, people kind of look at you like, huh? You, you, you don't mean that, do you? You're not talking about me. And so if we're going to reach our world, we're not going to change what we believe. But we're going to let what we believe come out of us. Through the way we act and talk and treat people and the way we interact in our world. And people are going to see that. 
and they may have been turned off by the deadness of the letter, but they're going to be made alive by the life that they see in you. Come on, tell me something. Where do you get all that peace from? Where do you get that joy from? What, what is it? I, one of my neighbors, I, I didn't even, I, I knew something had to be wrong because in all the years that we've lived in our neighborhood, that man has never one time come by this church for any reason. And all of a sudden, a few months ago, he showed up at the front door. I, I was shocked. I, I thought, well, what, what's going on? What's he here? What's Tracy here for? And I sensed something was wrong. I, I couldn't put my finger on I didn't know I wasn't going to probe. But he started talking about things in general. And I realized he's not talking to give me information. He's just talking to try to find a way to help me see where he's at. And something was said about uh, uh, Roberts, some, some guy named Roberts. He's a positive motivational guy, very popular, very powerful speaker and orator, Tony Roberts. He said he had been to one of those. He, he said, man, if church was like that, and I looked at him, I said, well, Tracy, if you ever come to this church, you'll find out that this church is like that. It's got that kind of energy, and it's not fake and pumped up, but it's real and genuine. Little did I realize that he and his wife are in the midst of a divorce, an ugly separation after 17 years of marriage. And I could have taken this law and sliced him to pieces about all the do's and the don'ts. But what he really needed was just to see that in his neighbor, and I'm not boasting, I'm not bragging because I failed too many other times, but all he needed was to see a little hope and to hear it in my words and an encouragement. Hey, you know what? There's hope. You're, this isn't the end of the road for you. You don't have to, you, you don't have to give up. The world's not looking for that. The, that's how we're going to reach our world is letting him live in us. And I know we, we hear that and we talk about that, but there's a difference in talking about it and actually letting it happen. So I'm challenging greater life. This needs to be a year. That we adorn the doctrine. That we make it attractive. Now that doesn't mean that you go out to Neiman Marcus and you buy the most expensive suit of clothes that you can buy. And you, you put on the Ritz. And that's not what I'm talking about. A smile and joy and peace and kindness and patience and love and understanding and mercy and forgiveness. Showing that to people that are hurting and broken. And everything else they've tried in this world has not worked. And everything they've been told since they were a child they could count on is falling apart one after another. Somehow, they've got to see something in me that said, what is that? What, what, what is that? Reach over and take somebody by the hand right now. We're going to pray. God, I need you to help us tonight. This is more than just a sermon. It's a message that I feel burning in my heart tonight. That we would adorn the doctrine. That we would make it attractive in all things that we do. Whatever it is we're doing. That we would put 
that there would be such a spirit put into it, whether it's an outreach to our community or whether it is an Easter presentation or, or whether it is a luncheon to, to honor different members of our community or whether it's just going out into our neighborhood and showing your love. Somehow help us, Lord, to begin to adorn the doctrine, to make it so desirable that when they see us, they want to know. They've got to know. Somebody tell me, what is this joy? What is this peace? What is this contentment? What is this happiness that I, I sense when I'm around you? Oh, Lord, help us to adorn the gospel. Amen. The art of making... The art of making goodness attractive. That's what our goal is for 2018. Everybody say it again. Adorn the doctrine. Amen. Make it attractive. Make it desirable. Amen. Father, we love you. Thank you for the word of God that has stirred my heart. I pray that it has stirred your people as well. I pray, God, that they've heard more than my brashness and my humor tonight that they've heard the word of God and that somehow something will resonate in their spirit that when they leave here tonight they're going to purpose anew in their life I want to live a life that will let some light shine into my dark world in Jesus name and everybody said amen amen somebody clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise Amen. 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 I I challenge you between now and Sunday to pray and let God show you just how you can beautify this message. In Jesus' name, you're dismissed.